If you'd remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes this morning from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Paul writes this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to be here with you all this morning. I want to begin today by thanking those of you who helped out with the Fall Funday Sunday last Sunday. Uh, I know our children, that's a lot of day, day, day. Anyway, it rhymes. Um, I know our children had a good time being able to play the different games, always getting candy, and then just having a fun morning with their church family, and so thank you. I also want to remind you to please pick up invitation cards to invite other, others to church. Uh, many people who are unchurched are just an invitation away. When it comes to being a, a part of a church, uh, people just are not comfortable making that step on their own. And so you and I are able to provide that connection to them. Sometimes when church comes up, I know it's easy to just say what church we're a part of. And so now you can say, this church is meaningful to me. Here's an invitation card. We'd love to have you and that's it. You don't have to make the sale. You don't have to dress it up. You don't have to do anything else. You just make the invite. Those of you that have had cards and have handed them out, way to go. Uh, for those of you that need some more, please take some. If you don't have any, I encourage you to take a couple. Keep them in your wallet, keep them in your car, keep them in your purse, and that way, and then be in prayer for God to give you an opportunity to make the invitation so that others will come to be a part of this church. Because I know so many of you can think of the person that invited you to come to this church. Um, I didn't get invitation. Well, yeah, I did. The bishop called and said, I have an opportunity for you. Um, and of course, and so, you know, thankfully he did that and we said yes, but I know all of you can also think of, of people that, that either made the invitation to you or you can think of someone who possibly, if you grew up in this church, made the invitation to your family or to your parents or for whatever reason you ended up here, however you connected here. I think for so many it's the, the need for that connection, that personal touch of making the invitation. All right, so today we're going to be starting a three-week sermon series on prayer. It's kind of going to bridge the gap to get us uh, from the sermon series we've just done and then to prepare us for the season of Advent. And so this prayer is going to be called, or the series I'm calling Real Power, uh, because my goal in preaching this series is to get us thinking about prayer and to getting us to think about how prayer can connect us to the real power of God. And we are unable to connect to the real power of God if we're not connected to God through our prayer lives. Prayer is how God speaks to us. Prayer is how we intercede for others. Prayer is how we ask for forgiveness. It's how we ask for guidance. It's how we repent of our sins. And prayer keeps us connected. 
And so prayer is a key to our faith because it keeps us connected to the real power of God. And so uh, we're going to be looking at prayer for three Sundays, and I'm going to be honest with you. There are some of you that probably I'm going to get done with this series, and you're going to go, man, he totally forgot this. Or he didn't talk about this. Or there may be something new. Or there may be something else that you think is is important for you. And I'm going to say right now, that's okay. Because I think the first thing we have to recognize and realize is for prayer, we have to each have a way that we are able to communicate with God. And so I can tell you how I pray and I can tell you how I practice my prayers. And that may not work for you. You could tell me how you pray. And I may think that it's a wonderful idea. Or the opposite, who knows, right? All I'm saying is you have to find a way that you can communicate with God and you have to be intentional about it and you have to be regular in doing it. And so I want to begin this morning by asking you the questions, how is my prayer life and what gets in the way of me praying? Now I want you to turn to a neighbor. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. (laughs) Who loved those in school? I want you to turn to your neighbor. No, please, no. Okay, but we're not going to do that. So I just want you to think about that. How's my prayer life and what keeps me from praying? And now we've thought about how we are with our prayer life. I want you to think about some of the hindrances that get in the way of you really praying. And when I say a hindrance, what I am thinking of is something that either gets, us in, the, gets in the way of us praying or keeps us from praying altogether. I think there's one hindrance that we want to speak about specifically, and then I think I'm going to list a few others that I've brainstormed. Or the one hindrance is just one really big word that's called sin that keeps us from praying. And without attempting to build a comprehensive list of sin, because we would need a whole lot of paper and a whole lot of markers, I just want to say that sin is the thing that keeps us from talking to God. And we can look at sin in a couple of ways in the way that it does that. In general, sin is an obstacle that comes between us and God. It keeps us from hitting the mark when we look to God, when we travel to God. And when we sin, we add to that obstacle that's between us and God, don't we? And so it keeps us from communicating. You can also look at sin being a chasm that separates from you from God. And so whenever we sin, the chasm can be widened and it can be harder for us to come back to God. So sin in general keeps us from praying. It hinders us from having a healthy relationship with God. It hinders us from having a healthy prayer life with God. It hinders us from communicating with God. And if you look in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah speaks to this to the people of Israel. He tells them this. He says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he won't hear. So what's Isaiah saying to the people of Israel? The people of Israel are experiencing um, destruction. The, the Assyrians are coming. They're conquering. They're, they're taking over the northern kingdom. And Isaiah is saying, folks, the reason God isn't hearing your prayers is you've put everything else between you and him. You've worshipped all these other things. You've worshipped all these other gods. You've placed all these other sins between you and God so that now you're calling out. God doesn't hear you because you've never been intentional in praying to him before. He's saying that you've separated it. And so I'm going to say, if we're finding difficulty in praying, I think the first thing we need to look at is we need to look at ourselves. Is there something that you're engaged in, some sin in your life that keeps you from praying? Even if your prayer life is healthy, 
You have to be alert to what you're doing through your life, to how you're living, so that you don't actively do those things that become obstructions that get between you and God. See, the beauty of the Bible and the beauty of the Christian faith is we don't have to do this on our own, and we can invite God to search our hearts, can't we? We can ask God to identify those things that keep us from praying to Him, that keep us from truly communicating with Him. Look at the book of Psalms, chapter one, or Psalm 139. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And then see if then be any wicked way in me. Right, so what's the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying, God, I know there's things that are between me and you. So look at my heart. Look at my mind. Find those things and help me to get them out of the way. Because sin keeps us from truly being in relationship with God. And so for us to truly be in communication with God, we have to stop holding on to the sin in our hearts if we really want to experience the freedom that comes from being in true connection and true relationship and really receiving the power from God. I thought of some other things that hinder us from praying in addition to sin. How many of us don't pray just because we don't set time aside? You don't have to raise your hands. Maybe you don't pray because you feel inadequate in talking to God. Like you don't feel like you're, the words you're going to put together are, are eloquent enough or put together enough that God's really going to hear them. Maybe you're in a situation to pray for someone else and you don't feel like you're equipped or feel like the words you say are going to be the wrong ones. Maybe we don't feel like our prayer life is vibrant because we treat it like another uh, line to check off on our daily list. Those are a few things that I thought up sitting there in my desk. I'm sure there are others that you can think of. But this morning I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. I love this letter that Paul writes to the church in ancient city of Ephesus. Ephesus is located in the modern day, in the modern day Turkey. Uh, Ephesus in biblical times was a major hub for Christianity in that region. Ephesus is actually a well-documented and well-preserved archaeological site that you can go and visit today. And we know from the book of Acts and from archaeological evidence that the, uh, Ephesus had a large temple that was dedicated to the, the Roman god Artemis. Or goddess, I guess. Uh, Ephesus was a center of this cult of Artemis to engage in worship. And so people would travel from all over the region to Ephesus to visit the temple there. We know that Paul was so effective in his ministry in Ephesus because it made a financial impact on the silversmiths that lived in that community. Because part of their, their money making was they would build you know, little statuettes of Artemis that people would purchase and they would take them and get them blessed and then they would take them home. And so as the Christian faith was spreading rapidly, the silversmiths were starting to feel the pinch. And they were noticing that people were not buying statues like they had before. And so they rioted and they drugged Paul to the amphitheater of the city. And there as they chanted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The leader of the city arrived and basically said, y'all got to clear out. This is an unapproved assembly. The Romans are going to come. So as Paul, as the, the, city, the leader of the city intervened, Paul was able to slip out of the city. And so he's now writing this community of Christians who he cares for deeply, who he wishes he was there with. He's writing them as he's considering the challenges and the opposition that they face. And he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, so Paul is telling them, he's telling us to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against what the devil is doing. We are put on this full armor. There's a, a spiritual battle that's occurring in our lives and in this world. The physical battle does not just consist of our physical selves. It consists of those things that oppose God, of those things that oppose His goodness, of those things that reject His authority, that reject His salvation, that deny His existence. They oppose the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And so Paul is praying and he's telling the Ephesians and he's telling us if we're to resist this evil, we have to arm ourselves in the things that God has given us. We have to clothe ourselves in the things of God. A belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, shoes of readiness, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, a sword of the Spirit. Paul reminds them and he reminds us that there is a spiritual conflict happening between good and evil between life and death, between sin and sinlessness. And we have to clothe ourselves in God and in His strength to resist temptation and to root ourselves firmly in Jesus. And here's where Paul brings prayer into this. Except if you look at it, he doesn't really add prayer to the list. He lists the full armor of God and all of the things that we can put on and wear of all of the ways that God can help us to resist the temptation that we face, to, to deal with whatever situations are before us, whether that's in the physical realm or whether it's in the spiritual realm. And then he adds prayer. He makes prayer an overflowing presence over all of it. Where he is basically saying that our prayer life affects everything in how we clothe ourselves in the armor of God. So he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that wherever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the Gospels for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So what Paul is saying is for us to receive all of the things that he lists at the armor of God, we have to receive them through asking God for them. We have to pray. We have to ask God to give them to us in prayer. We have to ask God to grant them to us in prayer. And as we grow more and more into a disciple of Jesus, we're going to be equipped and enabled to receive these things. But if we want to be in our faith, and if we want to be equipped in our life, we have to be a people of prayer. See, I'm going to say we cannot pursue Jesus in a real way if we're not praying about it. We can't pursue God in a real way. We can't receive the Holy Spirit if we're not asking God for these things. If we're not praying that God give us the Spirit. Look at James chapter 4, verse 2. James just says to the church, he says, you're not getting it because you're not asking for it. And we can't expect God to work if, if we're unable or if we're unwilling to put words to our thoughts and to our needs in prayer. We have to pray. We have to ask God to work. We have to ask God to forgive us. We have to ask God to guide us. We have to ask God to, to equip us. 
James says it. He says, you're not getting because you're not asking, and we have to ask. And Jesus even used words like this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, he says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I mean, here's the thing. If you feel inadequate, if you don't feel like you have the words, if you don't feel like you have the ability to pray to God, here's the best part is Jesus tells us himself that God knows what you need to say before you ever say it. Which means then God takes whatever words we are able to form, even if they're incomplete, even if they're messy, even if they're not exactly worded the way we think we should word them. See, and he uses that. Because he hears your prayer. And I'm going to tell you, he doesn't separate your prayers out if you think they're too messy or incomplete or inadequate. Because the Bible, time and time again, Old Testament and New Testament, tells us that God knows our hearts. Which means that God knows the prayer before your heart, before your mind, before you can even form it. And he expects you and he wants you to share it with him in prayer. And so why do we pray? I mean, Paul tells us, right? He says there's a spiritual battle going on in our lives for our minds and our hearts. The devil works to ensnare us, to get us to question our faith, to get us to feel disconnected from God, to get us to feel like we are inadequate or unable to really communicate with him. And so when we pray, we stay connected to God. And we keep ourselves rooted in the one who gives us hope and who gives us faith and who gives us life. And in Ephesians 6:12, Paul writes, he says the struggle isn't just against what we're doing here, but it's against all things. And so we could look to Jesus. Look at Jesus and think of how many times he went off to pray in the Gospels. I may be wrong, so if you Google this to check me, I think I read this week that it was 25 times that you can read in the Gospels that Jesus goes off by himself to pray. Because he knew what he needed to do. He spent time in prayer to focus, to communicate, and to listen. This is God himself spending time in prayer. This is Jesus staying connected. This is Jesus staying focused. In Mark 1, 35, I mean, the very beginning of Mark's gospel, he's telling us already that Jesus goes off to pray very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In Luke 6, 12, which if you think about it, this is right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is before Jesus has preached to this multitude of people there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the scripture tells us that one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And then the scripture tells us that Jesus came off the mountain, the crowds were gathering, and he went to the shore of the Sea of Galilee and sat up there and taught the multitudes where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe, I think it'd be hard for us to not believe that if Jesus did not spend time in prayer because he knew what he needed to do and he knew what God needed him to say. And so he made sure he was focused and centered and was able to say what he needed to say through his communication with God. Even the apostles in the early church saw this as one of the most important things that they could do. If you look at Acts chapter 6, uh, the Christian community is growing uh, exponentially in the city of Jerusalem. And so there are accusations within the early church that the uh, Jewish widows were getting more care than the Gentile widows. And so they were coming to the, the apostles and they were complaining and they were saying, what are you going to do and what did the apostles do? 
In Acts chapter 6, they said, we need to find some people who can oversee the distribution of help to others, who can oversee the ministry of the church in this way. And they said, the whole reason for us to do this is so that we can focus on the preaching of the word, the teaching, and of being in prayer. Because they realized and they recognized if they spread themselves too thin, if they were not in prayer to God, that they wouldn't be able, that, that would hinder them in all of the other areas of their ministry. And so they went to God in prayer. And the scripture tells us that were two that came up, and I forgot the other one's name, but the man who was selected through their prayer was Matthias, and Matthias became a leader of the church. Also, or no, he didn't. That's the wrong story. Uh, it was, they elected seven deacons. Philip was one of them, and Stephen was another one of them, and there were five others. And they became the men who oversaw the, the outreach, the ministry of the church, so that the apostles could focus on their preaching, and they could focus on their prayer, so that they could seek God's guidance for what was going to happen. Friends, if we want to be covered by the grace of God, if we want to be equipped with the armor of God, if we want to be engaged in the ministry of Jesus, we have to do it by engaging Jesus and God in prayer. Prayer that comes from the heart. Prayer that acknowledges that we're not perfect. Prayer that puts us in complete, complete submission to Jesus. And prayer that brings us the only peace that is true peace. As Paul writes, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Prayer is an investment, and prayer is time that is well spent with God. To grow in our faith and to grow in our life of faith, we have to grow in our ability to prayer, to pray. And so we'll say, Lord, help me to pray. Amen.